Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be at during our time together in the Word. And also, if you came in, you got one of those bulletins. On the back of that, there's always notes if you want to reference those or use those as we work through God's Word together. Mark chapter 2. In a few moments, we'll just pick it up in verse 18. There is an effect, and Adam's not here this morning to correct me if I get anything wrong, but there is an effect in cinematography. And it's a way that the person capturing the film is able to have the camera trained on a particular frame, if you will, and yet while that camera is trained on that frame, they are able to adjust the focus to where they can um, fixate on one object or one person. And they, without having to move the camera, without having to move the people, they are able to use that mechanical camera to adjust the focus. The bigger concept is called pulling Focus. The smaller concept, even at the individual level, is called rack focus. Mark is going to put a video. It's only about three or four seconds long. It's going to play on a continual loop for four or five times. But in that video, it kind of demonstrates what we're talking about. The, the, the frame starts with the glass and the illuminated in the background. It focuses on the illuminated room, and then it changes focus onto the glass. I hope that you can see that on the screen behind me. They, they call that a rack focus. And it's the way, without changing the camera, without adjusting the camera, without even adjusting the things in the view of the camera, they are able to change what it is that your mind is focused on by using the camera, by pulling the focus. So you say, well, Spence, okay, so what, what does that have to do? Well, it's one of those things that once you see it, now when you start watching television, you start watching movies, you will see this used all throughout the cinematography industry. And it's something that is used constantly to try to build in drama, to try to build an effect. What does that have to do with Mark chapter 2? I'm glad you asked. What we're going to see in Mark chapter 2 is you're going to see Mark giving us a picture of Christ. He's giving us an imagery of Christ. And he's going to say that in that setting and in that context and with those people, their focus was over here. But as Christ is going to teach and as Christ is going to continue to reveal himself, he is going to shift that focus using movie terms. He is going to rack focus from one object to another object. The camera will not move. The people in the story will not move. But what Jesus is going to do, as Mark is going to expose in this story, is Jesus is going to pull the focus from one heart to another. 
And I hope that you will see that with me as we continue in Mark chapter 2 this morning. You have verse 18 down through verse 22 is one scene, if you will. And then you have verse 23 down through verse 28 is another scene. You might think that there are two different subjects, two different concepts. And while they teach two different things, at the principle and at the core, they are both addressing the same thing. And is isn't about the heart issue with in the body of Christ and within the identity of a believer, now how you have a heart change from one concept of pleasing God to another concept of pleasing God. So you have two different scenarios, the same message. So we're going to start in verse 18. <clears throat> we're going to read down through verse 22. If you want to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud out of mine, we're going to look at the first way that I put there in your notes, the first way that uh, the gospel racks our focus. And then we're going to look at the first one there in 18 through 22. And then 23 down through 28, we'll look at the second way that the gospel of Jesus Christ pulls or racks our focus in Scripture. So in verse 18, Mark continues as he's writing about Jesus Christ. He says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they had the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst, the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now sometimes you may come to this passage, you may read this passage, and, and it is very easy for you and I to get fixated on verse 22 and verse 23 and the illustrations, or, or verse 21 and verse 22 and the illustration that Christ gives, and we can skip right past what he is trying to teach them about fasting. And one of the things that Jesus does as he continues to give his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus changes the purpose. He changes the purpose. Now, when it starts here in this passage, you have this, this, this presentation. It's kind of a gotcha moment. So you had John's disciples, and you had the Pharisees, and they were practicing this religious tradition. It was fasting. And it was one of those things they would do. It was commanded in the Old Testament. It was one of the things they did during the time of the, the Day of Atonement. You get this out of Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23. And there were different, different times and different seasons where they would fast. And they would fast for intimacy with God. They believed that when they would fast, and that is just abstaining in that context, abstaining for food or even abstaining from food and drink, when they would abstain, it was they would then draw closer to God. In their fasting, they would become closer to God than they were when they were not fasting. And what Jesus is wanting to tell them is, is that you are doing this to get closer to God, but do you do not, do you not realize who I am? You see this there in verse 20 or verse 19. He says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He is trying to show them and trying to explain to them, you did this before to get closer to God. Now do you not understand you have God in the 
flesh. And so what is he doing? He's changing the focus of what the fasting was supposed to do. The fasting in the Old Testament times was for them to draw closer to God. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, why would they do that now when God is with them? You see, in the Old Testament time, they fasted for intimacy. They fasted for piety. Matthew chapter 6, there's a whole treatise on this in verses 6, 16 through 18, where Jesus says, hey, when you do these things, do not do it the way that the other people did it. They would, they would fast, they would, uh, they would look like they were hungry, they would go around like they were all emaciated, and they would go around and go, oh, you know what, I can't do it, I'm fasting. And they would always bring up uh, praise upon themselves and recognition upon themselves, and they would do it to look religious and to seem religious. And Jesus says, you're missing the point what fasting is. You're missing the picture of what it is meant to be. I put there in your notes as Jesus comes in, he, he racks this focus from what fasting was, and you go back to Matthew chapter 6, to what fasting now is. It went from something they would do to earn their way to God to now something that he is saying they will do once I'm gone. That is there in, uh, in, in, in verse 21 or verse 19. This will do once I'm gone because of who they are in me. Let me put it to you this way. We, you, me, us. We will never be enough for God without Jesus. We will never be enough for God without Jesus. You see, in the, in, in the passage we're looking at, they thought, they thought if they prayed so many times a day, they thought that if they fasted so many times a year, they thought that if they dressed the part, if they looked the part, if they acted the part, all these things, they thought they could do all these things and earn their way to God. And what Jesus is coming in is Jesus is saying, yes, you have fasting, which will then continue after Jesus has ascended to the Father. Those things will end, but the purpose for why you are doing them changes. In the Old Testament, they were doing it to find favor in God. In the New Testament, they're going to be doing it because of who they are in God. And sometimes we can get so fixated on the performance that we forget the reason while why we are doing the performance. Like I said earlier, my family and I, we moved to Wilson when I was 12 or 13. And before then, all of my life that I can remember up to that point, we lived next door to my grandparents. Grandma and Grandpa on my mother's side lived about 50 yards to the side of us. And um, when it came to their household, my, my grandma, my grandma Jeannie, um, she liked staying up late. She would always stay up late. She had a chair, and she would sit there, and she would have a stack of newspapers, and she would read her newspapers late at night. And when you were a grandkid and you were staying there with grandma, you would stay there, and you would watch the 10 o'clock news, and then you would watch Alex Trebek and Jeopardy because she thought he was handsome. And then after that, you would either watch Carson or Letterman, depending on the era in which you were in, okay? And she would always stay up till 11 o'clock midnight, even later reading her paper watching television and in those days there was a certain time that the television station went off air some of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about there was a time that it would go off air and it would be like a barcode on the screen and just a solid tone okay 
So it was one of those things that my grandma, she always liked to stay up late. Grandpa Charlie was the exact opposite. He would get up 5, 5.30 of the morning. He would go into the kitchen. He would make himself breakfast. He would sit there in the kitchen at the dining, at the dining or at the kitchen table, and he would sit there and eat his breakfast. He might read the newspaper. He might think about the day. More often than not, he would just sit there and listen to Dave and Dan in the morning on KXY. And I remember asking Grandpa Charlie, Grandpa Charlie, why do you wake up every morning? And his answer to me was just simple. He said, well, you know what? Whenever I was younger, I did a time of service in the Navy. And when you're in the Navy, you have to get up at a set time every single day. He said, so I developed the habit and I developed the practice and I developed the discipline that I was always getting up at the same time every single day, getting up at what some people might think is early. He said, and that has just carried on into my adult life. There my grandpa was. He had no reason to get up that early. There was nothing pressing to do that early. But what he had discovered was is that he got up early, not out of a duty or not out of a performance, but out of a desire. I wonder this morning, how many of you are living this Christian life for the sake of the performance? Or for the sake of your conscience? Or for the sake of what other people see or what you're able to put in front of other people. I wonder how many of us in this room are more focused on the performance and not focused on the desire. You see, one of the things that Jesus points to here in the text, he tells them, Verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Why will they fast? Will they fast in that day out of performance? No, they will fast in that day out of desire. You see, once Jesus has come and he has died on that cross and he paid the penalty for my sins and he rose from the grave and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father and I realized that I was a sinner and I realized that I needed to be saved and I cried out by faith in repentance for confession and forgiveness of my sins, I was saved. There is no greater level of being saved. There is no more renewal of being saved. I am saved once and for all. So why would I pray? Why would I fast? Why would I give? Why would I serve? Why would I do those things? It's not out of performance. It is not out of duty. It is not out of obligation. It is because I desire to serve the one that died for me. And there's a shift. There's a shift in the focus that comes when we realize what Christ has done for us and now who we are in him. And right here in the text, you have the people stay the same, the conversation stays the same, but the focus pulls from duty and performance to desire and service. So then you get down to verse 21 and verse 22, and Jesus just illustrates it. And really, these don't really have a, a great deal of meaning except for he just says, hey, let me put it in terms that you can understand. Why would something new act like something old? It's not going to work. Why would something that is now a change in where, how you come to God, how you are found righteous, how you are found justified, you can't put the old and the new. And so what Jesus is saying is, is I have come to change the way that you get to God. So if you think you're going to get to God the way that you used to get to God, then you misunderstand who I am. 
And unfortunately, we have far too many people in this world today that think that they can still use the Old Testament model of getting to God. Well, preacher, I own a Bible. And preacher, I go to church. And preacher, I even go to church on Sunday night. That means I'm a super Christian. Oh, and preacher, I go to church and I, go, I, I, I even go to Sunday school. See, God has to bless me because I go to Sunday morning, I go to Sunday school, and I go to Sunday night. And then, guess what? When I have a problem, oh, God will take care of me because I give and because I do this. And we start to think it's all about our performance. Your performance will not save you. The only thing that can save you is a new heart in Jesus Christ. So he says, he shows us these first set of verses that Jesus changes the purpose. The second way that he shows us, the second way that he racks the focus, if you will, is that Jesus changes the reason. He changes the reason. And so the story switch switches. And on verse 23, the story continues, but it's still the same concept. One Sabbath, he, this is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read What David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So it's the same concept that Mark is trying to point us to is that they were all fixated on one idea, one imagery. And what Christ is doing is he is changing. He's pulling, he's racking the focus and he is saying, do you not understand? Let's get a proper understanding of what, and I'm just going to use Sunday. You may say, well, Sunday is not the same thing. The Sabbath is when they worshiped in the Jewish tradition. Sunday is is when we worship in the New Testament tradition. Same concept. Same spirit, same heart. So if you hear me use it interchangeably, I am not ignorant of the differences. I am just saying that in 2023, I don't see a difference when we come to our devotion and our commitment to God. So here in the text, there is a bit of a contradiction. And so what is going on is that Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain field. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, there was a provision given that if you were hungry and if you needed something to eat and if you didn't have something with you, when you're going through the grain field, you could pluck the heads of the grain and eat it. You couldn't put it in a bag. You couldn't put it in a satchel. You couldn't put a sickle to it as if you were going to harvest it. But as long as you're going through there, it's the same way with grapes. If you're going through a vineyard and you were hungry, even though it wasn't your grapes and even though it wasn't your vineyard, you were allowed to eat of it as just a common courtesy among the people. So you had two scenarios. You had one scenario where the disciples were going through there and it wasn't their grain and it wasn't their field. And some people would say, they are stealing. And the other scenario was that they were going through the grain field. And this takes you back to Exodus chapter 24. They were 34. They were going through the grain field. And they were doing this on Sunday. And they were taking the grain out of the heads. And they were threshing or 
getting the chaff off of it, and they were eating it. And the Pharisees were saying, not only are they stealing what doesn't belong to them, but they're working on the Sabbath. Let me ask you this. And I put this in your notes. Were commands created for man to keep? Or was man created to keep commands? You say, well, Spencer's not a difference. There is a difference. And in fact, it given to us in so many words there in verse 27. Were commands created for man to keep or was man created to keep commands? The question is, is why are we given the words of God? Why did he reveal himself to us? Why are these things given to us? Did he create this whole... T- this whole picture of the law, this Old, Old Testament picture of the law, and then said, hey, I created this, I need someone to obey it, and then he went and found man? Or did he go and he created man, and he said, then how is man to live rightly and truly and justly and faithfully and obediently to me? And then he gave him the parameters of the law. Does that make sense? It's kind of the question of what is the point of this? Jesus says that down there, and the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying? It's not that Jesus is denying that they're taking the grain out of the field. It's not denying that they're doing it on what is their version of Sunday. But what he's saying is, is you're missing the point of what the Sabbath day is all about. So he takes them back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he takes them back to David. Because see, David was an idol. David was a big figure in their way of belief. So he takes them back and he says, hey, what we're doing is the same thing that David did. David was on the run from Saul. He and his men. They were on the run. They were hungry. They were tired. They got there to this place of worship. And there was some bread that was normally reserved for the priests. But because they were hungry, they made an exception and they ate so how is he changing the focus he's changing the focus because he's reminding them that Sunday is not just about the do's and the don'ts Sunday is not just about dotting the I's and crossing the T's Sunday is not about what you can't Sunday is about us demonstrating our devotion to God. I put that in your notes. It's Sunday is about devotion more than duty. And what were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees had this understanding and they had this idea of what the Sabbath was supposed to be. And they had built all of these rules. They had built all of these regulations. They had all of these stipulations. You could walk so many steps, but not anymore. You could carry so much weight, but not anymore. You could be awake for so many hours and not anymore. You could eat so much food and not anymore. They had built all of these fences. They had built all of these walls about what it meant to be faithful on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you are missing the Point. Let me put it to you like this. The question is not can. The question is should. You see, we're in a society today that it all comes down to can I? Can I drink that? Should you drink that? Can I watch that? Should you Watch that. Can I go here? Should you go there? 
I'm in this season of life with these, with, with these young boys there in the house, these young men. And they are constantly looking at me whenever I say, you can't do this, or you can't look at that, or you can't watch this, or you can't listen to that, or you can't go there. And one of their common things is, well, what's so wrong with it? And I come back to them time and time and time again. And I said, that's not the right question. The right question is not what is wrong with it. The right question is, is what is right about it? You see, the Bible reminds us that man is corrupted, that this world is a broken, fallen world. So we should be operating off the assumption that everything around us is sinful and corrupt. So the question is not what is bad about it, as if we have to then point out the faults and failures. They are automatically baked in going all the way back to Genesis 3. The question is, what is good about it? So let's take this to a Sunday picture. It's not a matter of what can you do on Sunday. It's a matter of what should you do on Sunday. I don't know about you, but I, I like boxes. I, I would love for you to tell me, hey, these are the, ten, the, the five things, the ten things that we want you to do. And I can just, I, I'm a list person. I'm a people pleaser. And I just, let me go check that box, check that box, check that box, check that box. And then I feel better that I can do whatever I want to. And sometimes we come to Christianity like that. We start to think that it's all about the box and it's all about checking. And it's all about just coming and saying, okay, God, what is it that you require of me? Check, 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 check. And then we go on and we forget that we're not just a Christian on Sunday morning. We're a Christian on Sunday afternoon. And we're a Christian on Sunday night. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're missing the whole point of what this Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is not about you keeping a list of what you can and what you cannot. The Sabbath is about you keeping a list of what you should do in an act of devotion to God. So it's about your devotion. It's not about your duty. You see, you go back to the Old Testament, especially in the book of Exodus, God had said, I'm going to give you six days, and on these six days, you will work, you will provide for your family, you will take care of the things that you need to take care of, you will handle all the business that you need to, to be a, a faithful uh, parent, a faithful citizen, all of those things. But on Sunday, Sunday is a day set aside. This day is known in the New Testament as the Lord's Day. And when you get to the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day was meant to be, by design, a day of rest, not a day of Race. And when I say race, what I mean is, is sometimes it is a race to try to get everything that you need to get done this weekend before tomorrow being Monday. And sometimes Monday or Sunday is like a race. I have all these things that I got to get cut up and I got to catch up. And some of you, even right now, are thinking about how early you need to get out of here this morning so you can get your rat killing done this afternoon. Right, Evan? Sometimes we start to think. We start to think about all the things, and instead of it being a day of rest, it becomes a day of race. And we lose sight of the fact God has given us six days to race, and he's given us one day to rest. And it's not a matter of what I can or cannot do. It's a matter of what I should or should not do. You say, well, Spence, I don't really like that. I like a little bit more definition. I like a little bit more specificity. Yeah, me too. But God doesn't give that to us, and I think he doesn't give it to us on purpose. 
Because he knew if he gave Spence specificity, then Spence would keep the letter and he would seek to keep the law so he would have freedom and everything else. And he misses the point, which is why Jesus gets down there. <clears throat> he gives the example in verse 25. In verse 26 to say, hey, this isn't an unprecedented thing. David did this. And then in verse 27, he says, do you not understand? The Sabbath was not made for man. In other words, that God did not create the Sabbath and say, here, man, now you've got some arbitrary rules you have to follow. No, he says there in the text that it is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. Man was created to have a day to refocus himself upon God, to rest and reflect and to recover from the six days of labor that God had given man the Sabbath as a gift. Some of us, some of us have lost the ability to sit and be quiet. We've got to constantly be doing something, constantly be fidgeting constantly be doing something. And if we don't have anything to do, we pull our phones out. We start scrolling through there and it's just constant, constant, constant. Busyness, 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 busyness. You go back 30 years ago and you watch the TV shows from 30 years ago, they would keep the same frame. They would keep the same imagery in view for a longer period of time. If you watch the TV shows now, it's a quicker run. So what used to be 45 seconds to maybe two minutes they could keep in one scene, now they're doing 15 or 20 seconds. Why? Because they know that your brain is becoming wired to the constant, the constant simulation. The constant motivation, the constant movement, the constant going, 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 going. And then it comes time for Sunday. And you think, I'm just going to sit down here and I'm going to relax. And then your mind's going crazy. Why? Because for many of us, we have, we're out of practice on how do we rest. We think that being busy will be productive, and yet we do not understand that God has given us a day so that we can rest, we can reflect, and we can refocus our lives on Him. Remember the very, one of the very first opening scenes of the Three Amigos? Remember, they're in the movie producer's office. And remember, they're talking about the latest movie and how it was a box office failure. Remember, the big shot tells them, hey, there was a whole formula that we had and we were successful. But remember the line, we have strayed from the formula and we have paid the price. I submit to you that many of our homes today have strayed from the formula of resting and refocusing our lives on God, and we're paying the price. So Jesus says, Jesus says, do you not understand? This whole Sabbath thing, it's not about us. <clears throat> it's not about us plucking grain or not plucking grain. It's not about us walking or not walking. It's not about us working or not working. It's about our focus and about what we are fixated on. The Pharisees, all they were fixated on was this is what you can and cannot do. And Jesus says, do you not understand? It's not a matter of can. It's a matter of should. He is refocusing their heart. He is racking that focus where they're looking at Sunday in this lens. And he says, no, you're looking at it with the wrong lens. You need to look at it with this lens. 
So then what does this have to do with the church today? I'll put there at the bottom of your notes just a few ways that this now has application to the church today. And the first application I put down there in your notes is that performance can be synthetic. Performance can be synthetic. So many times you and I can come to church or we can get around God's people. We can get around church people. And we can get so fixated on the show that we stop being authentic. You remember New Coke? Is anybody old enough to remember New Coke? See, you had Coca-Cola Classic, and that's what my grandma Jenny, she drank constantly, was Coca-Cola Classic. Well, then later on, they thought, we got to get a little more healthy, and we got to get a little more trendy, and we got to get a little more hippity to the hoppity, and uh, so they came out with new Coke, and that was a flop. Some of you have been convinced that Diet Coke tastes like real Coke. It doesn't. Some of you, some of you, including me, start to think that Coke Zero is just the same thing as Coke. We were, at Friday evening, we were at a Mennonite um, auction. And uh, while we were there at this Mennonite auction, they had these drinks. And one of the drinks that the boys came back with was a Coca-Cola Classic. Well, I haven't had a Coca-Cola Classic in probably five years. And so uh, it's been Coke Zero, Diet Coke. I've, I've bought into that Kool-Aid. And so it's one of those things that they bring this back, red label, right? And I pop this thing open, I take a drink, and I'm just like, I've forgotten how good this was. You ever do that with your Christianity? You get so caught up in the synthetic, you get so caught up in the show, you get so caught up in the hypocrisy, you get so caught up in putting on a face for other people to see that you're not living an authentic Christian life. You see, the problem is, the danger is, is that we get our eyes off of Jesus and our eyes on this world. We start to start, we start to live for the opinions and the popularity of people instead of the pleasure and the face of God. And this performance can become synthetic. The second thing that I think is, is, is way of application to the church today is that we need to remember that the Lord's day is the Lord's. This day does not belong to you. Yesterday did not belong to you. Tomorrow does not belong to you. Today does not belong to you. So if today is not yours, then who should be deciding what you do with the day? The Lord. That's why they call it the Lord's Day. You go back to, you go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 1 and verse 9. And John the Apostle, we talked about this Wednesday night, as he's sitting there, he is writing, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He understood that this was a day set aside, devoted to God. It's not my day, and it's not your day. So when we leave out of here, maybe we should ask ourselves a question, not what can I do, but what should I do today to most glorify and bring honor to God? We need to remember that the Lord's day is the Lord's, the last one. We need to be reminded that we quickly lose focus. We quickly lose focus. That is why God gave us Sabbath, which is why he built it into the calendar that it happens every week. Not because, not because he needs to have a day of rest after six days, but because he knows that you and I quit.
quickly lose focus and we need a regular time to rest, to reflect, and to refocus our lives. That's why retreats and camps are usually so productive when it comes to the spiritual fruit is because you get a group of individuals and they get around one concept, one idea, one focus for an extended period of time and those fires are reignited and, and, and those relationships are rekindled and that, and that intimacy is, is renewed and you find yourself going, oh, I feel so close to God because you've been focused on God consistently for the days prior. And Jesus understood, God understood that it's easy for you and I to get into a pattern and into a pace of life that we begin to see the same images but see different things. So you might be here this morning. And you might be looking at the same image that I am. You might be looking at the same image that you were looking at a week ago. You might be looking at the same image you were, work, you were looking at six months ago. But could it be that your focus has gotten skewed? Could it be that maybe this morning we need to ask ourselves if our focus is on the wrong thing? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.